Welcome to Tauri's Community Church. We hope this talk helps you in figuring it out because we believe that when people discover truth and love, they are able to face life in a different kind of way and come alive. If this talk is relevant for you and you wish to discover more, please head over to tauraisecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. And with that, we hope you enjoy today's talk. Uh, welcome this morning. Great to have you here. This is the, the last of the series, How Can I Have Faith? And uh, uh, two weeks ago, John I was talking about how can I have faith through looking at the works of Jesus. Last week, Tim mentioned the, uh, the witness of the Holy Spirit. Today, funnily enough, people seem to think I like the Word of God, so I've been given that one. I don't know why they get that impression. <laughs> the, the question is, though, I mean, today is Anzac Day, so happy Anzac Day, everyone. Happy Anzac Day. I don't even know if that's what you're supposed to say. You say, Merry Christmas, Happy Easter, mm, it's Anzac Day. Anyway, anyone get up for the dawn service at all? Any patriotic people here? I wanted to, but, oh, one did? Fantastic. Well, I too did. Brilliant. I wanted to do my patriotic duty, but sleep was more important. <laughs> I figure I was 11 years in the Air Force, that was my patriotic duty. The question is, <clears throat> Anzac Day is a long time ago, 1915, that's, you know, 25th of, of, um, of April. But the question is, how do we actually know that it happened? We celebrate this, it's 106 years later, how do we know it actually happened? Any ideas? There's a record of it? Yeah? Survivors? Not too many th these days, but yeah? Aha, somebody's relative actually fought in that war. I believe that World War II happened because my dad fought in that war. I'm just a little bit younger than you, you see. Just a, just a little bit. And my dad had me very, very late in his life as well. <laughs> of course. <laughs> how do we know? It's because there's a written record of it. And in fact, the, I'll talk about that later, but how can we know that anything is certain? How can we know that anything is true? Especially in this day and age, for instance, now I've got to remember that I've got the clicker. How can we be sure of anything? For instance, today, you've got internet scams and phone scams. Anybody get those phone calls saying, uh, good morning, this is Telstra, and, you know. No, oh, was it? Oh, I was trying to do an American accent. <laughs> so, yeah, these people, they're scamming us all the time. There's, there's, there's internet and phone, and the number of phone calls we get, it's always a Sydney number for some reason, and it's always somebody asking about our solar panels or saying, this is Telstra, or this is the Australian Taxation Office. You need to pay this, otherwise we will kill you. <laughs> you know, so all this stuff's going on online, so it makes us not trust. When you look at the media, I mean, there's certain mainline media sources that probably are reasonably unbiased, but whether you get, like, Wally R. Lead or Andrew Bolt from the left or the right... There's a lot of people out there who are so-called presenting the news, but in the end, a lot of the time, it's just their own personal opinion or bias. How can you know from the media, even, when something is true or not? Um, and in a day and age where objective truth is actually less important than how we feel about that truth, and if you offend me, then, well, how dare you? I will cancel you. How can you then actually have a valid search for truth in an atmosphere like that? Or in an age where the clicker doesn't work, there we go. Was that me or was that you, Erica? Did you just flick? You? It was me? Oh, okay, thank you. You never know, you know, some, sometimes you click something and somebody down the back is actually pressing a button because they don't want you to make you feel bad. 
no, no, just, just, just tell me. I feel bad about other things, but I won't feel bad about that, I promise. So social media, you know how social media gives voice to millions of people, whether they know anything or not, and, and their volume of their voices is only matched by the ignorance of their knowledge. You know, so you can't necessarily trust social media. In fact, most of the time you probably shouldn't. We should just stick to taking photos of our food, right? That's the most important thing that we should be handling. Um, and then in an era where there's conspiracy theories, you know, man didn't land on the moon, Neil Armstrong was faking it, because look at all the tears. Didn't have anything to do with the fact that he was an introvert and couldn't cope with all of the, all of the, uh, the, the media attention. It had nothing to do with that. You know, so, you know, all this stuff's going on. How can you then actually stand firm and say, this is what I believe and nothing's going to move me? How can I say, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back? The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. I'm hanging on to this. How can you be sure? What you really need to do is put on your inner Judge Judy. Anyone ever watch Judge Judy? She was actually a genuine judge, a real-life judge. Oh, should I smile at you, Matt, because you're taking a photo? Actually, what did Donald Trump used to do when he was waving at people? Or oh, any president. They always go... Don't they? <laughs> Wallies. Aren't you glad you're Australian when it comes to American politics? It makes me very proud to be an Aussie. So, yeah, anyway, put on your inner Judge Judy. You know what she does when people come in front of them? And, and of course, on the byline, it says, these are genuine cases. And I think, well, yeah, they are. They're very minor cases. It's not like, uh, you know, deciding on major issues for the state. It's like this person owes me $500. Wow, that's a lot of money for me. But in the big scheme of things, it's not much. But what does she do? She gets the two people there, pro and against, and she gets eyewitnesses and she gets all the statements and she gets you know, various other pieces of evidence, puts them all together and then tries to figure out in the midst of all of that which one is most likely to be true. And that's, in essence, what we need to do. We need to come up with the evidence, find the evidence for a certain case, in this case, the case for Jesus or the case for Christianity, and then weigh the evidence and see which one is most likely to be true. And the way that we do that, most often, is through eyewitnesses. But what if the eyewitnesses have died? For instance, the Gallipoli generation. The, uh, in fact, I've got a little picture here on the left-hand side. There's some Gallipoli veterans on the left. Our last Australian survivor of Gallipoli, was a man by the name of Arthur Campbell. And he died in Tasmania in 2002, aged 103. I mean, that's a cricket score. That's a good, good age, isn't it, to be? Unless you're really sick or lose your mind, then maybe a little earlier is good. But he was the last one. That's 19 years ago. We no longer have an eyewitness. But what we do have is the written records of a whole bunch of people who were eyewitnesses. And the question you have to ask is, were they actually telling the truth? The fact of the matter is, if a whole bunch of people witnessed it as, a, as an event, and if a whole bunch of those people wrote letters home and wrote diaries and wrote poems, because World War I was the era of poetry, uh, and if people actually came along and wrote a whole bunch of histories about that using the primary sources, you can be pretty well sure that happened. Again, uh, I mean, you know, my dad was a, uh, a navigator in the war, in World War II. Now, having read so much about aeroplanes, surprise, surprise, I like aeroplanes, and so much about World War II, I would have believed that anyway, except that I had a dad who was actually there, who actually learned how to be a navigator in South Africa and then moved through back to Canada and then over to England, did a conversion onto Lancaster bombers, the greatest heavy bomber of World War II, and only ever flew two missions because he joined too late. But he was there. 
And even though he's dead, I know because I know he was a man of integrity. He wasn't a man given to lying. And certainly about stuff like that. I mean, occasionally we tell little white fibs, don't we? Little white lies. Does my bottom look big in this? Do I look old? Are these crow's feet? Am I really that bald and that old? Have I really lost all my looks from my 20s? Yes. <laughs> but my wife still loves me anyway. But, you know, how do you know it happened? Because the written accounts are there. There's uh, the guy on the right here, this uh, guy with the, not the metal hats, but the other one. His name's Dwight Eisenhower. He was uh, in charge of the Normandy landings in World War II. Also became an American president. Very, very popular and very good American president. Now, this is him visiting one of the concentration camps that the Americans had liberated. And yet there's people today, including the ex-Iranian president, whose name, Hamazi, I think it was, can't remember, uh, I forget. But he actually denied that the Holocaust ever happened. Said, no, nah, no, nah, it didn't happen. It was just one of those Jewish-Americans conspiracies. In spite of the fact that it wasn't just the Americans who liberated the camps, it was the British and the Russians as well. And they took photographic evidence. Now, it wasn't like in, in these days, today, you don't know if a photograph has been doctored or not. But in those days, they didn't have CGI. They didn't have Photoshop. So it was a lot harder to doctor photos. And in fact, most of the time when you tried, you could see the scratchings out of the sensors. You could see that sort of stuff. It was evident. But when so many thousands of people witnessed it, when so many thousands of people actually managed to survive, in spite of the millions that died during the whole thing, in spite of the fact that there's cameras and, and, and uh, well, video, I suppose, film, people could still deny that. And yet, the evidence is almost incontrovertible because we see it from the past. We see the documentary evidence. We see the written eyewitness accounts, even though the eyewitnesses may have passed away. But we've still got survivors now, even of the Holocaust. So that's how we do it. Well, what I would request is, when it comes to Bible stories, specifically about Jesus, that we actually put it to the same test, that we actually say, were there eyewitnesses? How can I be sure of anything? And you look at the four Gospels in particular. Matthew and John were both disciples of Jesus. Apart from the birth of Jesus, they weren't there for that. But for the rest of Jesus' ministry, they were there all the way through. And they were associates with all of the other people. So even if they missed out on something, the other people would have told them too. For instance, they weren't there when the women were, went to the tomb on the, that first Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead. But they spoke to the women came back. They knew what had happened because the women came back and said, guys, you'll never guess what's happened. The tomb was empty. We saw angels. This is crazy. He's risen. Really? Really? But they were eyewitnesses to the event. Or you get somebody like Mark. He was an associate of Peter. So even though he wasn't an eyewitness to all the events, he spoke to and wrote down the memoirs of a man who was there at all the events. And then you look at Luke. He was, he was even one step further back. He wasn't so much an associate of one particular apostle. He actually interviewed a whole bunch of people. And I love what it says at the start of his gospel. You know, many people have tried to write down an account, but I, who have had excellent knowledge of this from the... Oh, yeah, humility, great. <laughs> but he, he's actually renowned as being one of, the most, one of the most effective historians of ancient days. Because he wrote down... I mean, for us, it's boring. In the year that Quirinius was governor, in the 15th year of Pontius Pilate, they oh, really? But it actually narrows down when stuff happened and where it happened. And if they get those details right, the rest of it's probably going to be right too. So what I would like to see is, we believe that Anzac Day happened because of all the accounts and because we've known people who were there, who fought there. Or, or you know, we've got the histories written you know, from those accounts. Could we treat the Bible the same, maybe? Just maybe. These people weren't stupid. They were very, very smart people. They weren't liars. They were very honest people. 
And I guess the questions that we have to ask, are there any problems with these eyewitness accounts? For instance, if it's just one person, well, we can be mistaken. Um, I don't know if anybody here watches air crash investigation. Anyone brave enough to do that? Do you go flying afterwards? I, I never watch it the day before I'm about to fly. I don't do that sort of stuff. But the thing is, sometimes when an aeroplane is breaking up in midair, you'll get one person on the ground looking up and saying, oh, yeah, the, the, the aircraft definitely exploded in midair and it came down in millions of pieces. But then somebody else standing a few miles away will look up and say, oh, no, no, it, it was all together when it came down. I, I didn't see it come apart at all. Different perspectives can sometimes show the same event in a slightly different light. So first of all, you want to make sure that there's not just one eyewitness, there's lots, because then you're more sure that the event actually happened. The other thing you want to make sure of, in a court of law, if the witnesses say basically exactly the same thing with exactly the same minor detail, you think, hang on, there's a bit of colluding going on here, there's a bit of they've talked beforehand to get their story straight, not so sure about this. But if you get a whole bunch of witnesses, the major thrust of the story is right and the same, even though it might vary in a couple of details. Like, for instance, some of the Gospels say that there was one angel. Other Gospels say that there were two. Well, it's not wrong to say there was one, because there was definitely one, just that he had a mate. You know, again, it's like me saying, back in 1993, I went to a very sad football game. Me and my brother, we went to a football game, and it was Essendon versus Adelaide, preliminary final, and Adelaide was six goals up at half-time, and they lost tragically. And it's the first time I'd left a football game before the end because I could see what was happening, and it was tragic, and I'm still... <sighs> it hurts. Is it wrong to say that my brother and I were at the footy? No, because we were. But is it more accurate to say my brother and I, and one of his mates, and about 93,000 other people were there? <laughs> That's actually true. To say that there were 93,000 people there was true. To say that my brother and I went is also true. To say there was one angel there was true because he was the one that spoke. To ignore him in one account doesn't make that account, uh, to ignore the other angel doesn't make that first account wrong. It just means the other account is giving us a little bit more detail, whether it's important or not. So the thing is, if you've got more eyewitnesses saying essentially the same thing, then you know that it's true. The other thing is, or two other things, first of all, are they sane? If these people are insane, it doesn't matter what they say, you can pretty much say, nah, nah, this isn't right. But if they show every indication that they are logical and sane and good people, logical thinking people who are just plain speaking, then there's not much you can say about that. It's like that fellow, um, Jesus, um, he was a, a paralytic uh, and J Jesus healed him. No, sorry, the man born blind, I should say, the man born blind. Uh, and, and Jesus healed him and then he was hauled before the authorities, the Pharisees, and they said, how were you born blind? You know, you, you, they say you were born blind. We don't believe you, because you can see now. We don't believe you. Call in his parents, so the parents come in. Problem is, they'd already decided that whoever testified about Jesus and followed Jesus were going to be chucked out of the synagogue. In other words, you were going to be cut off from society. It's going to be really hard to purchase anything, like to purchase food or to live or to sell anything, to exist. They're going to make your life almost impossible if you follow Jesus. So here's this guy, he says, I was blind, now I can see. The man called Jesus healed me. I don't know what happened. They call the parents in. Was this your son? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes. How can he see? We don't know. He's of age, ask him. In other words, don't chuck us out, but you know, you can have him. Anyway, so again, they ask him, they ask him over and over again, how is it that you were born blind and yet can now see? 
And he says, look, I don't know. I don't know. All that I know is that he, he rubbed stuff on my eyes and I can, I, he prayed over me and I can see. And he says, oh, but this man's a sinner. We know that God doesn't answer sinners. And the guy says, well, I, I don't know about that. You know, God doesn't, God doesn't answer sinners most of the time. Actually, sometimes he does. Otherwise, we wouldn't get saved. But eh, beside the point, it just goes to show you don't have to have perfect theology to get saved. Anyway, so this guy, and in the, in the end, he get, does get chucked out because the last thing he says is, look, all of that I don't know about. All I know is once I was blind, now I can see. That's all that matters. These people were sane. They were telling the truth. The other question you need to answer, though, was that did they have anything to gain from telling a lie? So you see social media stories any, you know, at, at times and those ones that you maybe can believe. But, you know, we have a problem in Western society of, of physical violence toward other people, all right? And that is not a good thing. It's never a good thing. But occasionally you get these stories where, you know, that's... I probably shouldn't be saying this. Forgive me. Can, can you forgive me if I say something that's slightly controversial? I don't think it is, but just in case, can you forgive me? Is there anybody that's just going to hold it against me and, and... You are, Liz? Okay, no problems. No problems. That's all right. It's just one. <laughs> one witness, many others. That's good. Um, but sometimes you see these stories where, where uh, women are hurt by their men, like, emotionally, and so they, they've actually got video of, of, like, there was an American woman. Strangely enough, she actually videoed herself and put it on social media, but she was hitting herself with a hammer to give herself uh, bruises, and then she was going to report her partner to the police and say, domestic abuse. Thankfully, she actually posted that. I mean, how silly. Posting something online that actually incriminates yourself? Why would you do that? Thankfully, she wasn't a smart one. She wasn't particularly sane. Uh, but there was another one, there was an Australian guy, I think he was a, a Muslim fella up in Sydney, and a similar sort of thing happened where they'd had an argument, and she, you know, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, as Shakespeare said. She, they actually had a, a, um, a security camera set up in the, um, in the elevator, where, and she stood in the elevator, and she was punching herself. I mean, that's brave. I wouldn't do that. I couldn't punch myself in the face. But she was punching herself in the face, again, to give marks on her face, and then reported it, reported it to the police. Thankfully, they had, um, uh, you know, video footage, and so the guy was able to get off. Otherwise, one witness, you know, believe all women, we've got to say that this happened, all right? But, you know, living in dodgy times, sometimes, whether it's revenge or financial gain or power, sometimes people don't tell the truth, you know? Politics, business, sometimes people don't tell the truth. In our own lives, come on. Anybody ever told even just a little white lie? Or have you always been perfectly honest for the whole of your life? Yeah, everyone maybe, no, no one ever told a little, you never told a little white lie? Maybe a big whopper? <laughs> the thing is, did these guys have anything to gain? Did they have anything to gain by telling a lie? In fact, no, they had everything to lose. They were going to lose their reputations, they were going to lose their, their livelihoods. Eventually, the vast majority of them, the apostles, lost their lives, but they never, ever went against what they said. You know, whether it's right or wrong to preach, all we can do is say what happened. That's all we can do. We are called to be witnesses of the truth. They had nothing to gain and everything to lose. So you think, okay, if that's the case, again, most likely their eyewitness accounts are accurate. All cool. So I just like, you know, people to, people to treat the Gospels the same way they treat, like, Anzac history, for instance. Look at the eyewitness accounts. Are they credible? If so, well, fine. Accept it. Now, the thing is, that's all well and good. But when we ask the question, how can I have faith? Why is it important anyway? Why is it important to have faith? And so the answer to that is fairly simple. 
Faith is the currency of heaven. Faith is the currency of heaven. A number of years ago, as a family, we went over to Japan. And the funny thing about Japan, it's such a high-tech society, and yet we, we looked it up online beforehand, you know, how do you live in Japan, how do you visit Japan? And one of the amazing things about them is that they have almost no credit cards at all. It's a cash society rather than a cashless society. Now, can you imagine, I go over there filled with my MasterCard, my Visa, my debit cards, and I've got my international bank card or whatever I've got. I hand it over and say, what's the word for sorry in Japanese? Something... Remember, Mum used to say it on the train all the time, practising it, she was saying sorry. Something go many. Whatever it is, this Japanese word, you just have to say sorry, we don't take it. We don't take credit card. If I get my wads of Australian cash, because I'm such a wealthy man, and there you go, but it's Australian currency, they're not going to take that. Imagine going down to KFC, as we sometimes do, and handing over US dollars or English pounds or, or you know, euros. Uh, sorry, coin of the realm would be good, thank you. You know, even a few little gold coins would be fine, but you know, this foreign currency isn't going to work. Well, faith is the currency of heaven. By faith, most importantly, we get saved. In Galatians, no, Ephesians chapter 2, I'm sorry, it says, by grace you are saved through faith. All right? That's pretty important, eternal salvation. By faith, if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, it goes through that big roll call of the heroes of faith. Um, and that's just a picture of Rocky Balboa, you know, up at the top of the Philadelphia steps, wherever he is. Um, but by faith, if you look at Hebrews, we win victories. You know, they, they won great victories in war. They overcame death. They, you know, we see healings and miracles. We see all of these things. But it doesn't always go our way. By faith also, and the same chapter in Hebrews also says, by faith, they endured persecution, and so can we. They endured ridicule, and so can we. And it goes through some of the things that happened to them, like they were sawn in two, they were cast out, they were imprisoned, they had their heads chopped off, and all this stuff that happened to them but they still maintained um, their, their faith. And why, does, why do we want to maintain our faith apart from salvation? The main reason is we want to glorify God. And if you're ever going through a hard time, as we always do, or, you know, as, as we, we all do from time to time, just look at the book of Job. 42 chapters, basically, and almost all of them are whinging. <laughs> Job is whinging, but he has a reason to whinge. He's lost everything. He's lost all of his goods. All, he was a very wealthy man. He loses all seven of his sons and three daughters, I think it was. I think he had ten kids. Loses everything. The only thing, and he loses the respect of his wife as well. And it's, you know, she actually says, why don't you just curse God and die? So the guy loses absolutely everything. And in the end, he loses his health as well. And he's got, he's got to take a piece of broken pottery to try and scrape these, these massive boils off. And he's just in pain all the time. When, it, when it's night, he wishes for day because he can't sleep. And when it's day, he wishes it was night so that he could sleep. But then right at the end, you know what? God never answers the question, why are you suffering? It's a big cosmic contest between God and Satan. Satan, the accuser, instigated it, of course. Is this man only going to worship God because it's good? Because God's placed a hedge of protection around him? Or is he going to worship God even when it goes hard? Well, God, you know what? Here's the accuser speaking. I don't reckon he's going to worship you when things go bad. Let me take everything he has. In fact, why don't you strike him, God? That's what you do. Let's have an act of God. And God says, no, that's not my deal, but you can have him, just don't harm him instead. And then that doesn't work. Job still bows down and worships. And so Satan says, oh, yeah, skin for skin, a man will do anything to save his own life. You hurt him. Go on, you hurt him, God, and, and uh, you know, see what happens then. 
See what happens then. See if your champion on earth, your champion of faith is going to hold on. All right, but that's not the way I work, Satan. You can, you can have his physical health, but just don't kill him. And so that happens. And then right at the end, does, is that revealed necessarily to Job? No. Will we know the answers when we're going through a hard time? No, not always. I mean, sometimes it's human sin. Sometimes it's our own bad choices. Sometimes it's because people are doing bad stuff to us. Sometimes it's just because we live in this world. And ever since Adam and Eve sinned, it hasn't been perfect. We may not know the answer why stuff happens. But what happens in the end of Job is he actually receives a revelation of how great God is. That's why we need to worship and get into the Word. So we have that revelation of just how fantastic God is. And then it puts everything else into perspective. Otherwise, we're stuck on the earth looking around at our own earthly perspective. Occasionally, I wish I'd have... I've got a picture on my phone, but I haven't got it here. I was flying into Launceston a few weeks ago... I was up high enough and far enough away so I could take a few photos just before we came into land. Autopilot's really good. And what you do is you go like that and then, yep, yep, everything okay, yep. And I took a photo of Launceston from the air and there was Utah Stadium and Tamar Island and then coming in just a little bit further back over Lagana and, you know, it was just, you know, beautiful little photos. But you get an overall perspective of things. You can see things from a different point of view and that's what we need to do with the Word of God. Rather than just existing down here, why is it all so bad? You actually look at the Word of God and you get raised up and you see God for who He is and you think, you know what, does it matter? You get an eternal perspective rather than just, what about this 70 years that I have on this planet? And it's, you know, it's more than that. <clears throat> so, faith's important. We know how to get it. You know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God, or in other translations, it says hearing by the message of Christ. That's probably a more accurate one. But what is faith? I looked up a couple of dictionaries at home, and you know, Australian Pocket English Dictionary and the Australian Collins something Pocket Dictionary, you know, many, many ones anyway, they're only about that thick. But I looked up faith, because you know how you, you hear comedians a lot of the time and they denigrate faith. A lot of comedians, a lot of entertainers are atheists. Uh, you look at uh, somebody like Jimmy Carr or Ricky Gervais or you know, that super intelligent man Stephen Fry uh, or Richard Dawkins who's not particularly funny or entertaining but he is a sceptic, he is an atheist. And, and this, is, this is the sort of definition they have of faith. Uh, the Collins Australian Pocket Dictionary said, faith is unquestioning belief, especially in God, religious tenets, etc. Unquestioning belief? That's not me, that's not Christianity. Any real faith, you are able to question what you believe. In fact, you should be questioning what you believe and then nuggeting down into it to make sure that what you're saying is right. It's like those people in uh, Berea. If you look in the book of Acts, Paul got chucked out of one town after another when he was preaching Christ that the Jewish leaders of the town would get jealous and chuck him out. But he went to one particular place called Berea and it says in, in, the, in the book of Acts, it says, these people were more noble they listened to what Paul and the others were preaching and then they went to Scripture to check out whether or not it was true. They were questioning all the time. We can as well, as long as we eventually come to an answer. <laughs> if you're always, no, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, well, that's just called agnosticism and you never actually put your foot in one camp or the other. No, you're allowed to question. You should question. And you go to the Bible, not just thinking, oh, I'll do my Bible reading for the day. You think, what is this actually saying? That's what Tim is often talking about, soaping, scripture, observation. What, what do I observe in this? How do I apply it? Let's pray it and put it into practice. There's another one that says, um, faith is complete trust or confidence. Yeah, it's pretty good. The second one, though, firm, especially religious belief, not based on proof. 
Hey, no, that's not Christian faith. We have evidence, we have proof, we have the eyewitness accounts. It's not just, oh, I think the sky is pink and I think the sea is not wet. And I'm just going to believe in that because I don't have any proof for it, therefore that's real faith. No, that's stupidity, isn't it? It's a stupid thing to say. Same thing though, is it not based on proof? No, that's why we have the eyewitness accounts, so that we can know. In fact, what... Um, uh, I think it's John, at the end of John, he says something about, uh, you know, the, I've written these things so that you can know the certainty of what we've, what we've believed. You know, Peter says the same thing, you can know the certainty of the, the people that actually saw this stuff. I am testifying to you and I know what I'm saying is true. That's what John says. So faith is not unquestioning, it's not, not based on proof, in fact, it's based on evidence. And what do we do with the evidence? Well, once we see the evidence, if we allow faith to rise in our hearts, then we can accept it. And once acceptance has come, then we press the button and by faith it says obedience. You know what Jesus said? It's no good just hearing my word, you've got to put it into practice. You know, at home group on Wednesday, uh, we were looking at Matthew 7 and right at the end of Matthew 7, uh, it talks about, you know, a wise man builds his house on the rock and the floods come and the winds blow and the storm beats against it but it stands firm because uh, it's based on a firm foundation And the reason he told that story was because he said, those who hear my word and put it into practice. It's not just hearing. Those who hear it but don't put it into practice, they're like people who build their house on the sand. Same floods come, the same storms come, the same winds beat against the house, and great is the fall of that house. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God and accepting it. Just to finish up, and actually, this is going to, I shouldn't have said that because this is going to be a 10-minute finish, so apologies for that. I got your hopes up. Beauty, an early minute. Now I can watch the footy. T- no, no. Hold your horses. Hawthorne will wait. The unbelievable juggernaut that is the Adelaide Crows, depending on the week and where we're playing. So, do hearers always believe? If I preach the gospel, if, if I give the Bible to somebody, some people believe. There was a, a beautiful story that... Um, uh, a young girl that Sarah knows at her, uh, one of her schools that she's a chaplain at. Um, her parents are not Christians, but her grandfather is. So there is some sort of spiritual influence in there. But this girl was given a Bible and she read it and decided to believe. She read the Bible and believed. She was that good soil that, that, that was going to soak in the word and accept it. And you hear other stories of people. Actually, where's, uh, is Chicky here today? There you are. Wasn't it your brother that had the same thing, wasn't it? And so, how did he get a hold of the Bible anyway, Chicky? Okay, so he actually bought a Bible for himself. Okay, why did he decide to read it? Oh, okay, so he, all right, just for, he wanted to disprove it and he ended up reading it and believing. Now... That's brilliant, isn't it, when that happens? Because the Word of God does speak for itself. Sorry about that. I'll do it again. Drives the sound men crazy. But yeah, people sometimes read the Word of God and bang, they believe. They read it, they believe it, they're convinced by the evidence. Some people, though, can read the same Bible. There's, I, haven't, I haven't bothered looking at it on YouTube because I, I don't like seeing people denigrate the, the book that I love. But I've seen this, uh, what do they call it, a thumbnail of Ricky Gervais, the comedian, and he's holding a Bible and he's about to you know, read 
probably stuff from the Old Testament that's most objectionable to us, like killing a son, watch out Alex, killing a son who's rebellious. Mate, that's one old... No, I don't need to quote that, you're a great kid. Um, young man, sorry, you're not a kid anymore. But, you know, usually it's from the Old Testament, and what they don't realise is Christians, yeah, the, the, old word, the Old Testament is God's word to us, but it's not our covenant. We're the new covenant people. We are New Testament, that's our covenant. All right. So, so even when they're quoting the Old Testament at us, oh, the Bible says this. Yeah, but that's the Old Covenant. That was for the Jews. It's the basis for the New. But now the New has come. We don't need the Old. We follow the New. I'll try telling them that then. They won't listen, more than likely. But anyway, so do they always believe? No, obviously not. And Jesus actually told this story, if you can... I hope it's big enough for you. The parable of the sower. And it says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And, you know, in those days, they didn't have the big machines. They just used to grab a bag of seed and throw it over the field. And so some would get scattered in different places, not always on the good soil. So he says, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, even 100-fold. So, do people who hear always believe? There's four groups of people in this story that Jesus said. The, the first type of, um, of ground was the pathway, and he said the birds of the air come and just take it away so that it can't bear any fruit. And depending on which, uh, whether it's Matthew, Mark or Luke, because this story appears in each of those three Gospels, um, and they're slightly different. You think, oh, well, that, they're slightly different, therefore they didn't record accurately what Jesus said. Remember, Jesus was an itinerant preacher. Quite often, these stories were repeated from one crowd to another to another. I remember an, an Irish-American preacher many years ago, his name was Bob Gass. I, th I think that was a good name for a preacher because he went on and on and on. And he, full of gas, full of hot air. <laughs> but he was a good preacher. But um, uh, now why am I telling you about Bob Gass? That was relevant somehow. Oh, that's right. He was an itinerant preacher when he first arrived in America and he said he had a, he had a, um, a, a piece of luggage with him that had like five American dollars, a few clothes and five sermons and they were his five sermons and wherever he went, he preached out of those five sermons and as soon as he came to the end of that crusade, he had to move on because he'd run out of sermons. He didn't have another one. You know? Now, Jesus wasn't like that because he was an amazingly creative storyteller and preacher and people were wrapped at what he said, not just because it was fascinating, not just because it was true, because it was, had, had authority and people were healed at the end of it. You know, so these stories probably would have been told on more than one occasion. That's why like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew is different to the Sermon on the Mount in Luke. Probably a different circumstance. But a lot of the time as well, people like the Matthew, Mark and Luke especially, they actually wrote down you know, what they remembered because their memories were fantastic. But they also said, oh, I won't put that with you because I don't think that's as important enough to me. But then Luke would say, oh, actually, I'll keep that bit in because that's more important to me. So that's why sometimes there's differences. That being said, <laughs> here's one of the reasons why people don't believe. Satan comes along and says, ah, yeah, yeah, you can't believe the Bible because evolution is true and creation isn't. And if you can't believe chapters 1, 2 and 3 of Genesis, well, chuck out everything, all right? First of all, I don't believe that evolution is necessarily true because I don't think genetic information can come out of nothing. And I've got this really confusing book. It's for somebody more intelligent than me. But 
I've read basically one chapter in there about, uh, it's, it's called Should Christians Embrace Evolution? I actually looked at the last page and it said absolutely not. I'm like, all right, I'll buy the book then. <laughs> hey, evolutionists are biased, so am I, but at least I'm honest about it. <laughs> but it says the likelihood of some of these, um, I won't read this out because, you know, functional enzymes and ultra-microscopically small stuff and amino acids and prebiotic soups and... Uh, can I speak about football? Something I understand. What it basically says is the number of atoms in the universe is 1 by 10 to the power of 80. So that's billion, 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 billion. That's how many atoms. The likelihood of these genomes or amino acid sequences um, combining randomly in the way that you need for even the most primitive and tiniest life form, self-replicating life form, is like 1 to the power of 160. So you're more likely at random to find one atom purely by chance in the entire known universe than you are for these things, like the, the, the basic life at the start, to have happened. You think, okay, good enough for me. But anyway, I, I don't accept. I accept that you know, things can change within species. Like, for instance, we have so a whole bunch of different types of dog. But you know, with the number of... Um, of uh, fossils that, that we've, we've got thousands, tens of thousands of fossils of, of animals that have died in the past, you know, millions of years ago. Um, and yet there is never one that changes from one kind to another. You don't breed two dogs and come up with a cat. And, and you know, obviously we can't do that because evolution is so slow, but it just doesn't happen. There is no fossil evidence for that at all. So anyway, in a way that's beside the point. I personally believe that creation is true. Whether it's six literal days or that was just symbolic because you can read Genesis in slightly different ways, that to me is not necessarily a game changer. And in fact, in a way, believing in evolution or creation, I don't necessarily believe that has to be a game changer. But eventually, you have to come up to the eyewitness accounts of Jesus and say, is this actually factual? Are these eyewitnesses credible? Did they have anything to gain? Were they cheats? Were they liars? Were they insane? No, 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 no. This is valid evidence and I can accept it. And then it can lead to faith. And the rest, you know, hopefully that'll come too. But do people always believe? No. You know, um, Jesus actually said, Satan takes it away lest they believe and are saved. And sometimes life gets so busy that all those sorts of spirituality are crowded out. Should I read you a story, a quick story? It's C.S. Lewis, side better. Adelaide will wait. So will Hawthorne. <laughs> no, I won't. Screwtape letters. C.S. Lewis. It's the letters of a senior demon to a junior demon trying to stop somebody from being a Christian. And the senior demon says, what you want to do is, basically, you don't necessarily want to attack head on. What you want to do, if possible, is just distract people with the busyness of life, the regularity of life. There was one particular guy that this senior demon was trying to stop from being a Christian. And, it, and he, he, this guy used to read in a library or in a museum, and he was this train of thought that, that came across his mind, supposedly the devil could read this guy's mind, uh, and, and this guy was actually thinking, this life isn't all there is, surely there must be more afterwards, maybe there is something to spirituality, and instantly he could sense that the enemy, as in God, was by this guy's sight, as he is, and you know how we can't actually read what, the, what the, the enemy is saying to the people, but I figured it must have been something about, this is really important. And so what I said to the guy was, I attacked him at the place where he was most vulnerable. I said, 
Yeah, this is a really important subject, but you know what? You've been reading for all morning. I think it would be better to go out and have some lunch and come back and really attack this well in the afternoon. And by the time I'd actually mentioned that, he was already to the door because I know that I had him by his stomach. And as he was walking down the steps of this museum that he was reading at, and I showed him the number 74 bus coming down the street, and I showed him the newsboy calling out the news, here he is, the news, here's the latest news. And I struck him with the thought, see, this is real life. All that stuff that happens when you're, when you're on your own and you're in a musty room and you're reading too much and you're thinking, oh, enjoy the game, Selena. <laughs> maybe, maybe, no, that's all right. Only starts at 12.30, so you're okay, guys, you're okay. But yeah, so, and as soon as he had that, as soon as those thoughts passed his mind, he knew that he had him. And that the last line of the story is really amazing. He says... That man is now safe in our father's house. You think, and it's not our eternal father's house because it's written from a demonic perspective. It's our satanic father's house because the devil came along and snatched the word before it could bear fruit. But that's just the first group. There's another group of people that do actually accept it. But they're the shallow soil. It says rocky soil. What it means is there's rock and a very thin layer of topsoil. And because that, that soil is warm, and because it's shallow, the, and because the, the, thing, the, the little seed doesn't have the opportunity to put down strong roots, it grows up quickly, but as soon as the sun comes, then you know, the, the, it withers away. And he said, Jesus said that this stands for those people who believe for a time, but when hard time comes, or where sickness comes, they fall away. And for a lot of these atheists, I sometimes think that it's not so much that they don't believe in God. I think they do, they just don't like the God that they believe in. Uh, I remember, again, I mentioned this before, but with Stephen Fry, I mentioned him before, um, there was one time where somebody said, just imagine you're wrong and God, there is actually a God. Um, you know, when you meet him, what would you say? And just the look of, normally he's a reasonably relaxed and extremely witty and smart guy. But this look of absolute anger and hatred came on his face and I would say, how dare you? How dare you run this planet the way you have? Look at these children who... And he used exactly the same story that David Attenborough does to justify his unbelief. These children in, in, in uh, you know, remote areas of jungles where there's a worm that actually eats their eye and the only place that it survives is in the eyes of these children. How dare you allow that sort of suffering? And you think, that's actually a valid question. If we believe in a good, all-powerful God, it is a valid question, why is there so much yuck stuff that happens on the earth? And yeah, you can talk about the fact that sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, you can talk about the fact that we don't always make good decisions, you know, sometimes there's dictators around, not just politically, but in other areas as well, that force their opinions on us and force us to do stuff that's against our, our moral code or, or against our freedoms, or on and on it goes. There's, there are reasons, but we don't always know. This is actually the reason why my own brother decided to leave the faith a number of years ago. Because he saw a young mum, married, three kids, she got cancer, got sick, died, leaving the father to raise three kids without their mum. Now, we'd all agree that is an absolutely tragic story. The question is, do we allow tragedy to take our faith away? Or do we allow it to propel us towards God? Because he's the only source. He's not the one that caused it. Adam and Eve, Satan, well, Satan's the ultimate cause. Why don't we blame him? These, you know, tsunamis and, and disasters and so on, why don't we call them acts of Satan? Because most of the time they are. You know, the Bible in Romans, Paul says, the whole of creation groans with birth pangs until the revealing of the sons of God. Until Jesus comes and sets things right, even we are groaning at times because it's not the way we should be. It's not the way the planet should be.
not the way society should be. Are we going to cope in those times or are we part of that rocky soil that just has the shallow level of topsoil on it? The third one, the soil's good, but the problem is there's thorns and weeds that choke the seed so it doesn't grow up. And in one gospel in particular, it talks about, I think it's Luke, it actually says there's three particular things. There's the worries of this life, there's the guy worrying up the top, the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things. So for instance, the worries of this life. I mean, name some worries for me. What are some of the things that we worry about? Money? Health? Parents? Children? Ah, there we go, nearly come, kids. We worry about them, even if they're great kids like mine are. You know, and we worry because that's the nature of humanity. We worry, what's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know. What's going to happen this afternoon? Hawthorne could win. <laughs> God forbid. But, you know, we worry about so much stuff, but these worries can actually distract us from having faith. The deceitfulness of riches, one of the, you know, I mean, riches are good from one perspective. If you have a good heart, you can do lots of good with riches. You can support compassion children. You can, you know, give to good causes. You can fight cancer. You can do what Bill Gates is doing, trying to eradicate, uh, was it malaria, I think? Cholera? Polio? Disease. He's trying to eradicate a certain... (laughs) And he couldn't do that at such a big scale unless he was a multi, multi, multi-millionaire like he is. You can use money for good effect, but one of the big issues with money is that we can use it for bad effect and it can make us think, I'm self-sufficient, I don't need God, I've got everything I need. Yeah, until you're on your deathbed and you realise none of that actually matters. And then the last one, the desire for other things. Sometimes it's comfort, sometimes it's power or influence. Increasingly today with the younger generation, it's fame. I want to do something that makes me famous on TikTok or YouTube or Spotify. No, not Spotify, that's music. Oh, no, you could be Spotify because you could put out music, couldn't you? I'm trying to be hip, man, because you have Spotify. So does Lulu and Trina. I'm, I'm still on the YouTube. Can the team come up, please? Thanks, Kate and the rest of the guys. But Jesus said there was a fourth kind of soil, and it was the good soil. It wasn't shallow, it wasn't hard like the path. And it wasn't stuffed with weeds. It was good soil ready to receive. And he said, this stands for people who hear the word, they retain it, they persevere, and then they produce. 30, 60, 100-fold. I'm probably one of the 30-fold if I'm lucky. But at least I can produce and so can you. But the question is, how can we have faith? It's by reading and accepting, meditating on and putting into practice the word of God. Can I hear an amen? Now, please stand with us. We're going to sing that last song we were doing. I have decided to follow Jesus. And don't just sing it this morning. Make it your testimony. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We really hope you enjoyed this talk. We've created a free resource for this series, which is available for you over at Tauray's Community Church dot com dot au forward slash services you'll find links in the description we are praying for you have a great week